Okay, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 180 uh, with my guest, Josh Jones. Josh is the principal percussionist with the Kansas City uh, Symphony in Missouri. Uh, and uh, I had never met Josh until this podcast. I had seen him on Facebook playing Bach a ton. Uh, also had come highly recommended by uh, my friends Todd Meehan and Doug Perkins. Um, you know, just seen his name, you know, bantied around on, on social media and he's an amazing player and I just decided to reach out to him and see if he'd be a guest and he took me up on it so I really enjoyed this conversation I like getting to know people from scratch and um, you know Josh got a little emotional at the end of the podcast and you know those are people I trust so um, take it from me you can trust Josh Jones uh, on anything he says uh, percussion or life other, or otherwise so I hope you enjoy this conversation I certainly did okay ladies and gentlemen this is Josh Jones gavel this to order sir um, it is a pleasure to meet you well I mean not in person but as in person as we can get these days um, I've seen you on Facebook um, I mean I think you know, the world, it's a big enough world. I feel like our, the music world is small enough that I feel like we should have crossed paths more. And we probably passed in basic halls a million yeah. times or whatever, but, um, you know, I've seen you pop up enough, um, through some mutual friends that we have, Doug Perkins and Todd Meehan. We sort of, I trolled them a little bit the other night, but, um, with you, um, you know, and I, I, I'm just sort of tired of getting to know people on Facebook and feeling like that's the only way that I really I'm going to learn about somebody barring having gone to school with them or played a gig with them. And so I just was like, screw it. I'm just going to message Josh and see if we can get to know each other from scratch that way. So, um, you know, what we do with this hour is up to us. I don't have an agenda other than you just to talk about you and wherever the conversation goes is where it goes. So, um, you know, if you're cool with that, I'm cool with that. But why don't we start off with like baby Josh Jones and tell me a little bit about like where you're from, what got you into music, and then like we'll go from there. Okay, baby Josh. Um, two years old, I was hitting stuff all the time. Uh, my mom even uh, like put me next to a keyboard. We mm-hmm. used to have an electric keyboard, and I would just like tinker, tinker at it and all that stuff. I, I wouldn't really play anything. I would just hit it mm-hmm. <laughs> a bunch of times. Um, uh, there's actually a picture on Facebook of me with headphones on. Obviously, like I just I love headphones, mm-hmm. so. Um, when I was a baby, I think it was like two probably. Um, so they noticed I was doing that. And my grandfather on my dad's side, um, decided to get me a drum set for Christmas. It was a blue Mickey mouse drum set. Mm -hmm. And basically the rest is history. I was enamored and just, I loved drums. Um, I don't know if I ever saw drums or I just was very like, so, sorry to interrupt, but like, were your parents musical? Did they was there music in the house all the time? Um, my dad plays electric bass, mm-hmm. and he was playing for the church at that point. Mm. Um, I'm sure he was playing at home as well. What denomination? Um, uh, good question. Like, did you it, go? Did like, you go, did church? Is church music a part of your life growing up? Oh yeah, I I played drum set in church like since probably seven or eight. Oh wow. Okay. Not a little earlier. Um, so yeah, it was, it was like, it, it's basically like Baptist mm-hmm. church, like really sing songy shout like loud. Where'd you grow up? Chicago, Chicago, Chicago Illinois. Okay. I mean, I, I, I sensed a, a touch of the Midwest in you, um, you know, as you were talking, but you know, I grew up in Ohio and it, 
you know, and I, I just think the the community I grew up in church, you know, I went to church every Sunday. My, my mom and I was raised Catholic. My grandmother was like said the rosary every night before she went to bed, you know, like we did all the things, but you know, music in the, at least in terms of my, you know, born in a cornfield sort of white culture I'm from, like music was just not a thing in the, ch- I mean, the organ was a thing, but like outside of that, I think my active in, you know, my active involvement with music didn't really come until I got to like fifth grade, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. and that was like, here's the, here's your snare pad. <laughs> That's as like exciting as my musical upbringing got, you know? So I'm just saying that just to be jealous of you. I wish I, I wish I had more, uh, more music in my life early on. Yeah, it's it's music I don't really listen to anymore, but it's 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 really wonderful. It's uh, and I think seeing how um, much of an impact music made on people's lives in church uh, really made me want to be more a part of it mm. um, in any capacity, whether I was just playing congas or anything. I, I just I just knew what to do to make people dance. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so fast forward to fourth grade, um, I was obviously playing in church and stuff. So fourth grade is when, um, we were introduced to music class Mm -hmm. and we had to choose an instrument basically. And so, um, obviously I was going to choose drums, but around that time, the band teacher was actually given applications for a scholarship program that was hosted by the Chicago symphony. Mm. So she was like, okay. Here's the fourth grade class. I'm going to see if anybody's fit to do this or, you know, who would be willing and good enough to do this. And, you know, a disciplined student, all that good stuff. So she passes around a set of bongos and it's like, does anyone can play this? Anybody? And I'm like, yeah, uh, I can do that. And, and of course, I'm sitting, you know, patiently with my hand raised. <laughs> like, okay, I'm really excited. But I'm, mm-hmm. Wait my turn. Um, and so I played a little ditty and she was like, okay. Uh, take this and give this to your mom and bring it back tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, whatever. (laughs) Um, Come to find out, my application gets accepted, and I go to take the audition for the percussion scholarship program. And it literally, I thought it was going to be a drum set for the audition, but they just had like a a Remo pad, and I was Mm -hmm. like, really? Is this all we're going to (laughs) do? Wait, this this was in fourth grade? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the things... one of the things that strikes me about music education that I, you know, I feel like, what, sorry, remind me how old, how old are you? Uh, I am 28 going okay. on 29. So like, this is not even like, you know, I'm t- 13 years older than you. I'm 41. So like, but even when I was coming up music ed, like it's, it's fascinating to me, like the trumpet players, right? Like they were given a trumpet with a, with like a metal mouthpiece, but like, what if they were given a mouthpiece that was like rubber and didn't make sound, you know? Like that was, that was the case with me. I mean, I was in, I mean, my teacher was a percussionist, so yeah, I had a snare drum, but like the vibe was, it's okay. Give them a pad. It's like, you were auditioning for, for like a program and they were like, here's a pad, you know, that strikes me. Like when we talk about music education, it's like, why don't we, it's like, yeah, there's, there's a million ways to teach music theory. There's all of these things are important, all of it, but why don't we start with giving drummers a sound maker? (laughs) Like as our very basic, like if we're, why, why am I giving a chunk of rubber and they get like a flute that's beautiful, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'm a, I love drum pad. Like it, I could take it anywhere. I, I think it's a luck. It's one of those luxury items that no one really thinks is a luxury item for me. Cause I can like, 
I could take it anywhere. It doesn't make that much noise. I could play the crap out of it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sorry. To be clear, like, I understand that the, the need for a drum pad sometimes is great. It's awesome. It serves a purpose. But, like, when you're teaching a kid from fifth grade or from fourth grade in your instance and, like, your audition is done on a pad, like, that gives you the impression that this isn't as important as the person who's playing the tuba who comes in and gets to go uh, boom, 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 you know, and make a real sound. And you're in there on a pad, you know, that just in terms of how music education is progressing, I feel like those are things that we need to fight a little harder for the percussion arts is to, you know, give them great instruments from the beginning and talk oh, about yeah. them as, as great instruments, you know, not these chunks of metal that are just taped together, which is the case for most, most fifth grade bands, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I was pretty lucky with, I mean, obviously it's Chicago symphony. So they have like, money <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it, it was one of those things where of course i got in the program um and the summer version uh is like you have to basically test to get into the program after you you know get your audition mm-hmm. all done so they they usually start with a drum pad to just get the basic strokes on because obviously some kids might hit a little harder than normal mm-hmm. um and i think it's also good because with the pad, it kind of pre- prepares the parents for the louder instruments that they're going to get the next year. Because mm. first you get the pad, then you graduate to the snare drum, then you graduate to the marimba. So you have to bring all that stuff home. So you have to. It's, it's a it's a nice uh, progression at the very least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, before I got into that program, I wasn't thinking about orchestra at all. Mm. I was just like, I like getting stuff. So luckily, with that program, it was all free. Free lessons every Saturday. Oh, awesome. Uh, 45 minutes-ish. Uh, with people from the symphony? Long. Like lessons with people, with percussionists from the symphony? Oh, yeah. I always forget to say. It was Patricia Dash from the Chicago Symphony mm. and her husband, Douglas Waddell, from the Lyric Opera. Mm. Um, lessons usually were with Doug, which were really fun. <laughs> um, he, was, he was a very uh, strict teacher and... You knew to practice or else he would put you on the spot. Um, like, but he was also like the groove guy. Like he was always asking or telling us to think about how things felt. I'm mm. um, trying to feel the groove with all the pieces. And Patsy was more like the technician, mm. uh, making sure everything was very clean. So it was a very good combination um, ever since I was in fourth grade. That and seems, I mean, that's, that seems like a very unusual pairing of teachers for a fourth grader to have like i i'm looking at this and i'm like okay i've had technician teachers in my life you know bob van sice was a technician to some degree like he at least with me with me he was he was like you can't do a snare drum roll so i'm gonna teach you or like you can't play hawk reiner three so we're gonna study we're gonna do really technicians i mean feel was important but I've had other teachers, and I think in so percussion, who are those three guys are three of my biggest teachers too. And I hope they would say the same about me. But like, feel and time is at the top of the food pyramid, or wherever the most important part of the food pyramid is. That's where that's where I live. Almost your sound curation, like the tone of your drum, doesn't matter if your time sucks. You know, like those are those are the things. But I've never had two teachers who did both of those things at the exact same time, and it's it's telling that you had that from fourth. I mean, it's no wonder why you're sitting and doing what you're doing right now. You know? Yeah. I was just very, very lucky. <laughs> yeah. But so like, but so getting into this program, sort of, uh, this is where you got on the path to, to learning and loving orchestral music in particular orchestral music. 
Yeah, it was one of those things where I didn't realize what orchestral music was. Well, to, oh, sorry, um, sorry to interrupt when you say that. Sorry, I'm you just you're every time you say something, I'm like, oh, I got to quit. Like, what? Because I I permission to speak freely, Josh Jones. I took one orchestra audition and said, screw this. I am never doing this again. I don't love orchestra music enough. And then I went to grad school and had a couple really great experiences playing with an orchestra. And now I'm in so percussion and we play with orchestras from time to time. It's awesome. But why did I hate it? What what was it? Like, why did you, why did you have studies where it was so awesome and you felt like this is, you knew what orchestra music was. What did I not, what, what am I missing? What did I miss as a, as a, you know, 20 years ago? Why was I sort of like, I'm so confused by this landscape. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, so I lo- so one of my favorite things about my childhood was my love of Disney music. Mm. Like Disney scores, Alan Menken, like sign me up. Um, That's interesting. And I, I didn't realize, like you listen to stuff, but you don't realize who's playing the things. Mm. You just hear music and you're just like, oh, it's just music. And then I'm... Like, no, that's Patsy and Doug are like, no, that's orchestra music. Like, orchestras are playing that. Mm. I'm like, oh, so you guys play like that kind of stuff? That's cool. <laughs> I want to do that. Oh, was, I see. I was so like Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, um, and Hunchback of Notre Dame, my favorite three orchestra scores huh. of all time. Like, but it, you learned, but you learned that like human beings were were doing those scores, and those were human beings who you then like could recognize. Like I remember, there's this guy Wade Colbreth. Do you know Wade? He plays with the with LA. I think he subs with LA, but he's like the first call xylophone player in LA for any studio work. And we did a gig with we played Lenos with him, and of course, and he was called to play the you know the, the xylophone part, and he never missed a single note, never was a note out of time. And he, I don't even think he was looking at the music. He was just sort of staring up, you know, up in the air, but he sight reads all of the xylophone stuff for the Simpsons and family guy sight reads like, and he was telling me about, it. he's like, yes, you know, family guy or, or the Simpsons was like, you know, it was like a 25 minute session. I'm like, that's like a ragtime solo for God's sakes. Like he's yeah. like, yeah, you get the music and you know, I've just practiced a lot. But when I realized that now every time I see the Simpsons and I know it's Wade, like, and I know he's reading it. Like to me, it's like the Simpsons are better now. Like that shows so <laughs> fucking rad now because I know Wade is there. But like, again, I didn't have that till I was in so, you know, play. I was 29 years old when I dawned on me. But for you, you're having this in fourth grade. Yeah, it's, it, and it was also one of those things where I didn't re- realize what I was getting until I was 15. Because, mm. of course, like, I didn't have a concept of Chicago Symphony or that orchestra music was, like, a thing. And you had to, like, practice or, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I was just, like, enjoying myself mm. and just trying to learn and get better for the sake of learning and getting better. Um and so when they were like, yeah, you're on the path, you're, you're on a good track to doing this, and we think you should consider doing this seriously and going to college for this. And I was like, okay, I guess we can do that. And what do we have to do? Okay, lessons are now an hour plus. Uh, you're going to get all these excerpt books. Um, we're going to have uh, accessory class. Like, they, they like put me through the ring. <laughs> but you decided you made that decision 
What, you said when you were like 15? Yeah, like 15, 16. Okay. Um, and it was one of those things where I was at first like, yeah, I guess I could do that. And Doug was like, no, we need you to like be serious about this. And I had, I haven't seen Doug that serious in a long time. Hmm. Were there, was point. there anything else you were interested in at the time? Was it like, oh, I want to be a musician or like a physical therapist? Like, Literally, I was I was one of those kids who kind of just followed the, you know, just went where the wind went. Mm. Whatever was happening, I was fine with. Um, I liked math. Like, I loved doing math, but I didn't really think about, you know, doing anything math-like. I just liked doing math. Um, music was just kind of a thing that I did, and I was kind of good at. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't have any prospects past, you know just doing all of my schooling and then seeing what happens. Do you think, do you think that your, your sort of interest or at least enjoyment of math? I mean, when I, I, I was good at math when I was in school, I didn't really enjoy it, but what I, what I loved about it was the, like, you know, you had a piece of paper and you were like two plus two plus X minus the cosine of whatever. And then you just knew like, all right, no matter what, when I get down here, there's going to be a bunch of shit here, but there's going to be an answer. Like, mm-hmm. and you know that there's a process. It's like looking at a map. And I'm wondering, like, when I think of auditioning for orchestras, what I remember from, you know, only the one time I ever did it was that, like, I, I realized when I got in there, it's like, oh, my God, this is a process. And, like, I know that there's an answer. There's not. Well, wait, actually, I don't even know if there's an answer at the end of this, because every time I walk in that room, there's 75 other people with all of their drums all tuned up, sounding way better than my hanger touch tone that I haven't even tuned, you know? <laughs> You know, but I think that like, is there something about the process of auditioning that, that you enjoy or just like work? What is it about that process that you, you sort of find enjoyable? Um, honestly, it's, and this is circling back to the first question about why you probably hated it and why I hated it for so long Mm. after I got to college, because it was like, oh, I'm enjoying, enjoying, enjoying from, you know, fourth grade through Mm -hmm. high school. And then I get to college where there's a lot of other um, ideas about what music is and what percussion should be and what is required in the audition. And so it's like (laughs) two mindsets clashing and I have to make a, what I think I have to make a decision is to be more serious Mm. and all that stuff and kind of uh, turn off the Josh and try to create some, clay figure of what I think the panel or Mm. whatever will get me a job is. Um, Yeah. So how did you get back? (laughs) I mean, because I mean, the thing I've learned is that like when you're on a panel or you're auditioning people or you're looking at audition tapes, like the things that I thought people were looking for when I was in school is like not at all what I'm looking for. I can drop the needle and in 10 seconds, now, after like having enough, like at Sosi, for example, is our 13th year coming up. Like I've done it enough now where it's like I can spend 10 seconds looking and listening and know everything I need to know about that person's time, about their thoughtfulness of mallet choice, their tone production. I can see where their weaknesses are and I can be like, oh, you know, like this is a weakness that I can I can deal with for two weeks in the room. It's not going to hold anybody back. This person maybe, oh, my God, like. I need to be careful about what part I assign this person because of X, Y, and Z. Like, but w- what I'm looking for is people just who are themselves as quick as possible. You know, like it's the people who show me their science project that really sucks, but they're proud of it. And they've spent a lot of time on it. Those are the people. And they have like 
basically good time. You know, their hands function, you know, but if they're interesting, like those are the people I want to work with. Um, like for for auditioning, when did you make that transition? When did the sort of synthesis or the cognitive dissonance of what you thought that the panels wanted and what you realized that you could bring? When did that sort of gel in your head? Um, so I an audition, and I won't say where, but I basically did everything the correct way. Mm-hmm. I had a very nice outfit on. Uh, Essentially, and this is something Doug and I talked about a lot before I went to college, was the uh, racial possibility of discrimination Mm. and all that stuff. And both of them were like, as soon as something happens, if something starts happening, because it will, just call us and we will talk about it. Um, So one such audition. I'm really sorry. Before you get into that, like, how did that conversation go between you and your, like, how did that come up with you and your teachers? I mean, that's as a teacher, especially as a white teacher who has students of color, um, from all over the world, like I'm very insecure about, you know, raising those issues. Like, and I feel, and I work in black community. I work in the Caribbean. I mean, my room's full of steel drums. I work in black communities on a regular basis. And I would be terrified to bring that up to a student. Like, by the way, if there's racism in your audition, like that, but that's absolutely an appropriate thing. Like, how did they broach that with you in, in, how do they do it in a way that made you feel comfortable? Yeah, unfortunately, something happened while I was at the program mm-hmm. that both of them were like, we need to address this uh-huh. because that was inappropriate. Got it. So we talked. Okay. <laughs> um, All right. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So it, it was one of those things where if if it wasn't that period of time or if, if it wasn't that incident – they would have had to talk to me about it mm-hmm. at some point before I went to college because mm-hmm. they're like my mom and dad. Yeah. Like I, I call them about everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I went to an audition. Uh, essentially we were the, the consensus was that if people see me, I need to look not stereotypically black, mm-hmm. which Doug was like, it's not fair. And I hate that we have to have this conversation, but you know, you know, wear suit, you know, no, you know, <laughs> just yeah. Like whatever, whatever the word, whatever stereotypically black is like, that's also just an impossible thing to quantify, you know, like, yeah, but I, I can empathize. I understand why that is a thought process, unfortunately. Yeah. So this, I took an audition and I played everything correct. Um, words, whatever, uh, and then the comments I got back were that he looks weird and acts strange. We don't want him in the orchestra. He looks weird. Like, can, yep. I mean, do you mind me asking, was this some, was this a, was who, you don't need to name a name, but like, was this a, an instrumentalist? Was it a conductor? Was it a, like. It, it wasn't even an instrumentalist. It was two people who were just assigned to watch the audition for a a training orchestra, basically um, with a third musician. Um, Yeah. Mm. So, and, and that was me completely like just doing the by the book things Mm. and making no, like, this is what I want. This is how I want to present myself. This is how I want to present my music and that kind of stuff. Um, So after that, I was like, I don't care anymore. If I can't play the way I want, look the way I want, act the way I want, and feel fulfilled doing what I want to do, 
then I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Literally the next year I got to, that was my first finals audition that I ever got because I literally took those chances and was just like, I don't care. I'm going to play the way I want. Mm. Um, and well, sorry to interrupt. Like, do you feel like you played better in the audition where you sort of did gave zero fucks about what they thought of you? Or did you feel like you played better in the other one? I played way better in the ones I gave no shit about. Like, mm. It it and it was it was scary, especially in the final round because I was like, "Wait, this is so much easier." Because <laughs> I did, yeah. it was like I didn't have to worry about that. I was just like, "I'm just gonna like like I wasn't thinking about soft playing. I was just like, "What's the color?" Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, I, th- I think when conductors, I mean, people, it's interesting that as percussionists, like there are people who, you know, and you're on audition, a conductor or a panel, people will nitpick everything you've done. You know, oh, well, you don't have the proper ticking or, you know, somebody who says you look weird. I, I, I'm i suspicious of that person's view on, I mean, yes, there could be vile racism, but that person probably just has a warped view of everyone. Like <laughs> somebody like that's the comment. It's like when you when you're teaching and you played. A, I mean, how many times have you played a piece for a teacher? Enough times for me where the teacher just says, "I don't like that piece." It's like, well, but that's not that's not your problem. Your problem is to teach me. Like that's not you know. But I I um like what where where did the sort of as you were playing these this audition like what um did it did like were you actively thinking of this while you were playing the audition? Like this all was crossing your mind and like, how did you, how did you manage all this while you were playing this audition? And and like, then what was the end result? Um, for the, the finals one or for the one that I got cut from for the finals one, the one where you, uh, where you played, like you really wanted to play. Yeah. I, it was one of those things where it's, it was the very first time I ever just like played the way I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so of course I was super nervous for the finals of like, Oh crap. This is the, I've never been here before. I'm so close. Like, <laughs> and of course I didn't, I like didn't play. I just went back. I toned it down a bit and that was enough for me to get cut at the very final round. Mm. And it, it hurt like hell. Like that was, it was a very hard lesson. Do you think they um, noticed that you sort of let up right at the end? And that's possibly. Yeah. 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 They, mm. and it broke, it, it broke their heart. It was, uh, yeah, it was it was very hard, mm. um, but like and and then it was it was also one of those things where um, had I not if I won that job, I wouldn't have to go back home. So I lost, which meant I had to go back home, mm. which is like you know that whole mentality of like oh you like messed up or whatever, um, and then trying to come back from that while also being like no you had you had it you just need to do it again. And somebody's going to like it. Um, so, you know, working at home, working from home, uh, teaching a lot, only having like an hour and a half to practice with like not a lot of instruments. And you don't know what instruments are going to be in the practice room for three auditions that you have to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, like for the Calgary audition that I won, um, I didn't practice bass drum, cymbals, or yeah, I didn't practice bass drum or cymbals um, at all. Yeah, at all. I just I played bass drum on the on the day. 
But I mean, um, but, but yeah, but I mean, that's like somebody being like, "Hey, Josh, get up and play Yellowbird." You know, like I've done that. I, <laughs> or I mean, like Margaritaville or something. Like, there's some okay. stuff that you've just done a thousand times that, like, you know, you know yourself well enough that you don't need to practice. You know, Mahler three or whatever, whatever the bass drum thing is that you got to do. Like, I, you know, as a professional, I mean, that's the thing that's hard to explain to students. It's like, you know, I don't have to practice that before an audition. Yep. You do. And that you need to understand that. Like, I know how I'm going to sound. You don't. And that's, yep. you know. And then being able to do that gave me more confidence to, like, not take, well, not have to practice everything to the point of, like, beating a dead horse. Like, yeah. you know how Bartok goes. Like, you know how Kiji goes. Just practice your soft playing. You'll be fine. Um, mm. So come Kansas time, um, I, I wanted to basically I wanted to hide the fact that I was taking an audition for reasons. So I didn't practice tambourine cymbals or bass drum this time. <laughs> um, and I, I basically just ran through, it was a very standard list. So I didn't take too much of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and this audition legit, I wish I could have, I should have recorded the audition because like I, every, after every piece, I was just like, oh, yeah, that was, that was good. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we got, got Lamar next, all right? And then, like, after every round, just like... And I'm literally doing this in front of the proctor. I was like, yeah, that was freaking dope. And the proctor's like, okay, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I was I was just feeling on fire. Like, mm-hmm. I was feeling so musical. I was feeling so free. But at the same time, I was a nervous wreck. And, like... I was like, I'm, I have to win this job. I cannot leave here without winning this job. I need to win this job for reasons. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a weird dichotomy, which I've gotten a lot better at um, separating mm-hmm. between just play music and have fun, and I'm freaking out. <laughs> well, it's hard. I mean, one of the things I found terrifying about the audition process, I mean, aside from the just, like, being intimidated by seeing everybody. I mean, everybody sounds great through the door. Everybody, you know. And your your brain warps, you know, your perception of stuff because of your nerves or whatever. Um, but getting in the audition room and I was, you know, for me, Porgy and Bess was, was the first one. And I get in there and I just like, that's the great sort of like leveler. And I was just like, but I'm nailing it. Oh, my God. It's like, I got to be natural at the end. And I was like, man, the whole thing was rad. I just, I mean, if that was a live show, I would have, I would have, I mean, I'm 99% of the notes correct, right? And, um. You know, if I was Mickey Mantle, I'd be in the Hall of Fame. And the words out of his mouth were like, thank you, next. And I was like, cool, I'll do uh, Scheherazade next. And he's like, no, 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 no. Next. (laughs) And I just picked up my hanger touch tone. It was like, really? And I walked out of the room. I played played one excerpt. And he knew, you know, he knew in in 10 seconds that I was not going to be in that orchestra. And that was a hard pill for me to swallow. Um... Now I gave up. You clearly stuck with it, but now that you're sort of like, how long have you been with Kansas with with the Kansas City Symphony now? Three months. <laughs> Three months. All right. So how is it? So now, like, this, I want to transition into the like, you know, students have the the idea of what the audition path is, and then they realize what the reality of that path is. They also have an idea of what the reality or of what it's like to play in a big orchestra, and then there's the reality of playing in a big orchestra. Uh, I'm, you know, no good or bad here necessarily inherent in your situation, but what were the things that struck you once you got? You're like, yeah, baby, got that percussion section seat, and I'm here now. Oh my! 
like what were some of those things? And again, I'm not asking you to talk shit about your, your organization, but what were just some big picture, like playing in a 90 piece chamber group that you never, you know, that you just didn't think about. Yeah. It's, it's again, I love Doug and Patsy because they told me a lot Mm. before I got to college. So politics, I absolutely hate them. Um, I see no reason why they have to exist in an organization that is supposed to be like a, a small community making music for a large community. Right. You're not talking about like like national uh, electoral politics. You're talking about just not the politics of people like, working together. Like, I don't like his suit. I, I don't like the way he smiles when he plays drums. Like He looks weird. That, yeah (laughs) yeah that kind of stuff Uh oh i I think he's not taking the job seriously because he's making jokes at with the percussion section like if if you ask anybody who's played in my section it's like the it's a time it's a it's a jam where i'm always like oh do you think you can like play it a little bit more uh use more shoulder or mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, make it sound like that da, 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 or something. I use weird metaphors, talking colors. Can you play that a little more blue? Like mm-hmm. it, it's a time. So I don't understand like how people well, cannot like, this or is... not. Um... Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going <laughs> to, no, I was going to say that I like, it's one of the, it's one of the things that I think maybe some of the subconscious things that I've maybe felt about orchestra playing. And maybe one of the reasons I've just, looked at it with rose colored glasses is the, like, you know, I grew up playing in steel bands and the communal aspect of being in a hundred piece steel band in Trinidad is like, it's a, you can't, I mean, there are politics at play for sure, but it's, there's way more give and take every minute of every moment that's happening. And there's constantly pushing and pulling it, but you know, everybody's in it. You, after rehearsal, everybody gets together and says a prayer. It doesn't matter what religion you are. Like you are going to pray and then you're going to go eat. And getting in an orchestra and realizing, again, not every orchestra is like this, but realizing like, oh, nobody even knows I'm here. No one would even know if I left the room. <laughs> yep. And that sucks. Like, I don't I don't want to be in a room like that, whether it's an orchestra or whether it's a, like if a steel band started acting like that, I would see you later. Like, I got fucking shit to do with my life. I got people I want to hang out with. Like. And I think, you know, orchestras, the politics, I just don't understand it. it. It feels like in the way that people are talking about a new way to teach music theory. And these aren't new ways. This is those ways have always been there. You just got to sort of widen the lens <laughs> to include those things, you know, and telling, yeah. telling an orchestra, telling a cymbal player, like, are you the section? Uh, are you the, the section leader? Yep. Like you looking at a cymbal player and saying, hey, can you play that with a little bit more Elvin Jones? Like. Like you need to, your time needs a little more Elvin or a little more Tony Williams. Like the idea that you couldn't say that in an orchestra rehearsal is asinine. You think Beethoven at, at rehearsals of, first of all, I'll bet Beethoven at his rehearsals is like faster. Like, like, you know, there's a reason his, te- his te- metronome wasn't broken. Go screw yourselves. He wanted that. He wanted it to, to slap, you know, the whole time. I don't know what the kids are saying these days, but like. You know, and we're now hundreds of years removed from that, and we don't feel like we have to have that anymore. Like that's yeah. somehow falling, and it's bullshit. That sucks because, first of all, Beethoven's way more interesting than playing his tempos comfortably. You know. Yep. Anyway, that's just it's. I I think I've not been in the orchestra world as much as you have, but 
that's something I felt like where the, where the cognitive dissonance grinds against itself is in those moments when you're in there talking to people about a different way to think about orchestra music. Yeah. It, it's like people are trying to sterilize it and it's like, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to come to that concert. If it's perfect, like they want to see somebody like take a chance or interact with their section and like actually look like they're enjoying the thing instead of like, Oh, this is another pops concert. I guess we're getting paid for this, you know, eighth note. Okay. I'm going home now. Like some, actually something that I'm doing for Kansas city is I'm sending uh, donors a a special video to thank them for donating. And I play a little thing Mm -hmm. and you think they want to see hello. My name is Josh Jones, and I am with the Kansas City Symphony. Thank you for making a donation. Like, no, I'm like, hey, how's it going? I'm Josh. I'm the principal percussionist. Thanks so much for making a donate. Like, that's a lot more, like, I actually care, you know? And of course I care. It's not like, thanks yeah. for giving me money. Like, you know? No, yeah, of course. I mean, you're, you're, I mean, I've, again, I've only known you for, you know, what, 45 minutes, but your energy is palpable just through a Zoom screen. So, like, again, to go, to go back to your moment in school when you were like, you realized that you just needed to be yourself. Like that's the quickest way to your own truth, but also just a better product. Like your product may be a little rougher on the edges than had you, you know, whatever, but that doesn't mean anything. That means it's just unfinished and you can keep honing that as you go. Um, But being yourself, I think orchestra donors want, to know that the people they're giving money to are human beings, especially now where everything's online and where, you know, um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. I, what, what do you, you know, the LA Phil is one that comes up for me too, in terms of when I look at a culture of an orchestra, you know, they're, they're players, the percuss- I've worked mostly with the percussionists, but due to Mel, there's a sense of, of new music and openness in that culture. Um, Joe, Joe Pereira's, played Corporel one year when we were out there, you know, and it's just like, what kind of nutty place is this? But I wish every orchestra would embrace that because the music is rad. I mean, mm-hmm. you can love Corporel, you can love Pierre Lanaire, but you can also love Mahler too. And you can love Dan Deacon and you can love an arrangement of, you know, uh, was it America by Ornette Coleman? Like all of these things are equally rad. Yep. And I wish at the end of, you know, in, in uh, Porgy and Bess, if, if in a live performance, you would just just pump your fist on stage. Like if people in the audience would be like, wait, wait, what? You know, and I, I think that stuff is palpable. Yeah, it's it's and it, this is something I really miss about playing live. I can't wait for a vaccine so we can play live again. Good mm. Lord. Um, but the the thing that people always notice is that the percussionists always stand up before they play. Mm. So I make it very obvious <laughs> for people just like, it's like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> and like, it, it's so, it's so fun to just meet someone's eyes, like right before a crash mm. and like have that interaction. Like people want that. Like, why not, why not exploit that option? It's not like just bury your eyes in music and then, okay, I have to look at the oboe. It's okay. I'm back in my music. Like, mm. you know, it's like, it's a whole, I don't know. You get I wish, what I'm saying. I wish every orchestra, I wish there was like one year where the government was like, all right, here's what we're doing. Every orchestra, we're going to provide straps for everybody. You're required to stand. 
So if you're playing cello, you're going to hang it around and you're going to, I'm sorry, just that's what's happening in 2023. We're all standing. Like, I guarantee you the music would sound different. It would feel different. The audience would experience it differently. Um, you know, I'm not saying you need to do that with every piece of music, but I'll bet Beethoven 7 would really crack if if people were just and the French horn players were doing this, you know. <laughs> like I feel like people would smile more, you know. Um, well, Josh, let me what um, now that you're 3 months in, what do you hope to do with like what are your goals with that particular position that you have? Like how do you want to grow it? Where do you see it 3 months from now and then 3 years from now? Um my whole thing is just making music more accessible. And the the one thing that I love about drums is that I play Delaclues on the street corner and they don't hear Delaclues. Mm. They just hear a guy playing drums. It's it's not until you get to like violin or something like uh, that's directly associated with like elitist classical music where they're like oh that's a violin i must like watch this is culture mm, like mm-hmm. i what the day when violin is just like another is like another instrument that nobody like wants to you know think twice about looking at on the street that's when i'll be happy because mm. that kind of normalizes music and instruments in people's lives it's like everybody knows drums like you okay Okay, that's that's kind of like the day that violins are like drums on the street corner. I'll be happy. Um, that's more of an aside. But as far as the drums goes, um, I feel like the the more I can make music accessible and make it seem like not as serious as my college experience without. Um, without losing respect for the art, not saying that, mm-hmm. but not over seer- like over hyping it and making it seem like, like, I don't know, just, I feel like the over hype and the over elitist and the, the limitation of access to music and mm-hmm. education and resources just diminishes the power and effect that music has on people's lives and the more we can actually like get people in or not just get people in the door, but get people um, comfortable access to good music, mm. not just, I mean, everybody has access to good music, but like music, they wouldn't usually think to listen to like, um, I don't know. What's, what's something everybody loves Christmas tunes, but do they ever think about, Hey, those are sleigh bells. Hey, that's a glockenspiel. Like mm. the more we make people aware of those things on at their, you know, where meet them where they are mm-hmm. for that kind of thing. It's like, you know, I feel like people will be more interested if they know what's going on. And I feel like the way I teach things and the way I make put things out, I'm trying to tell everybody what I know. Like this is a drumstick. These sounds that I'm making is from this kind of stroke. Mm. Like, did you know that the drum could do this? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like doing that as much as possible with the audience that I have and making a new audience here, um, being a lot more accessible to patrons and things like that, doing the donor videos, mm-hmm. um, just making myself available to people to talk and just like, how did I get into this? This is what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, like something I did in Calgary, um, I would just play on a street corner on the 
street that was closest to the job mm-hmm. and I would just play. And sometimes people would come up and be like, oh, what do you do? Like, oh, I play for the symphony. And they're like, we have a symphony? <laughs> like, so it's like some people don't even know the symphony's there. Luckily, we have flags <laughs> for the Kansas City. Well, it used to be. I mean, the symphony was the only thing. I mean, there was like a movie house. You could go see a play. You could go see the symphony. And, you know, it's not the symphony went away. It's just now there's 3,000 other things that are taking people's attentions. And... Um, and especially since folks are in, locked inside now, the last eight months, yep, orchestras aren't online. I mean, there's like one or two I've seen do do something in a real interactive way, but it's hard. I mean, you got ninety people. The logistics of, I mean, it's chaos. And so, of course, people even now there's less awareness that you know an orchestra exists. Um, but I, but I think you know I'm curious for you. Like, what advice do you give? Do you what advice do you give to a young student who was your who was like in fourth grade or you know young kid coming up like you? What advice do you have for them if they're feeling the same things you were feeling, like your insecurities about um, just your own playing, about worried what other people want, but then also the representation thing? Like if you feel like you're having the sort of the insecurity about the way you're going to be judged on a racial level, like that's something that it's. It would be silly of me to say that I've never been judged. I, I am, but I've never been aware of it on a racial level, except for when I was in Trinidad the very first time. And it, it does happen from time to time where I'm like, I'm recognized as a foreigner. It's a slightly different version of what you experienced. But like, what advice do you have for somebody who, for whom that's a big worry? That's a primary concern for them. What advice do you have for them? Um, you got to practice not caring what people say and not Mm. internalizing it. Um, Especially as a child, Uh, parents as much as possible need to encourage their children. I I don't know Mm. where I would be if I didn't have supportive parents. They drove me to every class. Uh, They helped me practice when I first got started. Um, They were extremely supportive and still Mm. supportive to this day. Um, Like, Words matter and kids take words very seriously. Mm -hmm. So instilling positivity, encouragement, high self-esteem, you know, that kind of thing is important. Um, Not not just for us, but everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And then something else, they only have power if you give them power, if you acknowledge that power. There's there's certain people – where especially when I started getting uh, a little bit more notoriety, mm-hmm. um, if if I had actually accepted that, oh hey, he he only won that job because of affirmative action because he got this scholarship program. So like, of course he's going to do well. He didn't have to work. Mm-hmm. That kind of like. If I had accepted what their perception of my experience was, I would be like sad or something. But like, they they don't know me. They don't know my life. They don't know how I practice eighteen hours a day for a month. Like, they don't know what I had to do to do to get this. So mm-hmm. like, why why should I take any stock in how they perceive my experience? Um, and that's something I had to learn. Like later on in life. I wish I learned it earlier. Uh, listen, uh, it's the hard, I think it's the hardest thing that humans have to do. 
is not care about a negative comment. It's like you can get a thousand, Josh, that was beautiful. Josh Jones, I've never heard anything like that. You're amazing. And then there's just one idiot who doesn't even know what a symbol is, just walks by and is like, yeah, you look weird. And like that ruins everything. That's the thing you remember. It's not the thousand amazing comments. It's the one person who is a totally ignorant buffoon on what they're talking about that you, you're like, no, 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 that person must mean something. And you take that and run with it. And it's like, wait a minute. This is a, this is like one of those road races where people are handing out cups to people as you run by. Like life is a road race and there's going to be somebody who says you suck. And if you stop and you're like, wait, what'd you say? Then you stop running. Just keep running. Yeah. Like (laughs) there's going to be another person with a, with a water who's going to be like, here you go. It will help you just keep running. You know, that's easier said than done. I think from my, from my vantage point, given my experience and my privileges in life. But I do think that advice, I hear that advice from everybody. And I, it's, I think it rings true with me. The older I get, you know, just keep going. Like don't stop on their account. Yeah. Um, there was enough. Oh, and perfection is a lie. Mm. Like perfection is stupid. It's impossible. Um, I feel like, especially this our society with schooling, you know, like grading everything. Life is not to be graded. There's no, there's no grades in life. There's, and you should not um, uh, time your progress. You will progress at your own pace. You cannot time progress. That is just like you can't control how much you grow. You can't control like how much you age. Like it's, it's time is, you can't control that. You can, you can track it, but you can't plan it out. Like it's going to track it, but you can't, you can't time it. Like by tomorrow I will perfect my doubles. Like you might get better, but like, it's still like, there's always room for improvement. And then tomorrow you're going to be a day older. So like you might be getting more arthritis or like, you know, it's, it's, there's so many variables in life that you can't, nothing's absolute. Mm-hmm. So stop trying to make things perfect and absolute. Like just think about being clear and as clean as you can be and as musical as you can be. And that's all you can do. Like just do that. Let go of everything else. I, I don't have any other, I mean, that's amazing advice. <laughs> and I think it's, I mean, I, I, I sort of, when people give great advice and I say like, well, that's great. Like I mean it. And I, I think I, I wish students who watch this would take me seriously when I say like your advice is good because you clearly have benefited from your advice. So is it the only advice? No. Toss the advice, toss Josh Jones in the quiver and use, you know, your path to your, to, you know, use Josh's path to your advantage or and if there's something that worked for him, but it doesn't work for you, don't use it. <laughs> yeah, you know. And I, but I think like, like everything you've said, this is not life is not a clear path, you know. But you've had again, like look, look, look to your teachers. You know, it's clear that you had two people early on in your life who gave a shit about everything, not just you as a person, but how they talked about music to you, how they defended you when you felt like you needed to be, maybe, maybe you didn't know that you needed to be defended and they stepped no. like, like there were two, two, two protectors who stepped in and were like, bro, you don't even know that what happened is, is foul. <laughs> and we're going to, you know, you, I wish everybody had 
had Patricia and, and Doug, you know, as their as their teachers. I feel yeah. like she'd be in way better shape these days. I I wish to, and that's that's why I'm trying to be so accessible online mm-hmm. because, like, if it's who I had I, actually one of my students yesterday, um, we had she she asked me, "Oh wait, are you in a new location?" Like, yeah, I'm at work. She's like, "Wait, what do you do?" It's okay, bud. Like a principal. <laughs> and she was like, wait, you're an orchestra musician? Like, yeah. Like, I always thought they were all strict and uptight. <laughs> a lot are. <laughs> Did you tell her that? <laughs> I, I, I was like, yeah, a lot are. I'm not. She was like, that's so cool. <laughs> It's like, I want to do that for people. Like, mm. I, I want people to see on Instagram or wherever, it's like just a guy enjoying hitting a surface. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's Shostakov. And she goes, da-da-da-da-da-da. And they're like, but the technique, like, yes, practice the technique so that you can go, da 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 like mm-hmm. that's what you want to practice technique for. It's not like, I played it perfect, okay. Mm-hmm. Pass me through the next round, please. Right. <laughs> put it in the context of Shostakovich. Also put it in the context of the political oppression he was dealing with. Put it in the context of a dictator. Put it in the context where music was being politicized. In, I mean, I just heard John Fogarty on, on, you know, from, from Creedence Clearwater Revival was talking about how the Trump campaign was using a fortunate son, a piece of his. And he's like, no, like, John Fogarty is not much different than Shostakovich. It's just one yep. was living, one was living under a dictatorial regime, and one was living under a budding of dictatorial regime that wants to use, you know. And it's like it's. I think in order to understand all of this, like yes, the da-da-da-da-da-da is important, but you need to know why Shostakovich wrote that. Why did he write for snare drum a lot? Like, was military was military drumming important to him? Why might it have been important? I don't know. I'm just asking questions. Like these are all. These are all things. And Josh, I, I, I genuinely, my favorite podcasts are the ones where I talk to someone I've never met. And it really means a lot to me that you um, are so forthright with your opinions, your emotions, it, but especially your emotions. I appreciate you being so open there at the end um, here with just how you feel about things. I think I wish more people would do it. I wish I would do it more. I'm not as good at it as I wish I was. And I talk about it a lot, but... Um, I just wanted to sort of put a pin in that and say like, bro, I, you know, you're, you're 28. Um, you have a very long career ahead of you. You remind me of one of my dear, dear friends, Jamie Dietz, who I was in school with, um, just the way that you, you, you move when you talk about music. And when I see you play Bach on Facebook, like you remind me a lot of people that I care a lot about in the way that you, you see things. So I, from my vantage point, I think just keep doing that. And if, if your hands go, if your your sight goes, if your ears go, don't lose the the emotional part of what you have because it's it's right there at the surface and it's there for a reason. Um, and other students need it. I need it. <laughs> it's helped me today, uh, and other people need it. And I I, I just want to put you in a bottle and spray you everywhere so that 
keep us up. You know, just a little spritz of Josh before you walk out the door might help everybody. But um, on that note, um, Josh Jones, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, do you have any final words? That Where can folks find you other than Facebook? Uh, Josh Jones Drums on Instagram. Uh, no special things about that, just my name and drums. Uh, <laughs> I got really lucky with that name. Yeah, you did. Um, and then drummojo.com. Uh, so drummojo.com. Okay. It was supposed to be Drum Dojo, but I think Drum Mojo actually sounds cooler now. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I got two books, a third coming out soon. I'm waiting for um, a, a, a a very famous drum set player. It's not Jojo Mayer. It's, it's not Todd drum- Meehan either? Huh? It's not Todd Meehan? <laughs> no, it's... Uh, I love that you burst out in laughter though when I said that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm waiting for him to do the forward, so uh, I don't want to say who it is okay, yet because right. I want it to be a surprise. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Um, so yeah, that'll be the second. The it's a role book. Oh, cool. I think honestly, I think it's the best role book ever because it goes through everything, I and then it goes through some molar stroke and push pull things too. I could have so, used that in grad school. Um, you know, literally, I've tried to write things I wish I had in school. So, yeah. Bob Van Sice um, being like, you know, you can't play a snare drum roll, right? And I was like, but I'm at Yale. And he's like, that doesn't matter. I'm just calling balls and strikes here. <laughs> your snare drum roll sucks. So, Josh, I wish I had your book when I was in grad school. I'd have been much better. Um, well, I'll keep, we'll keep an eye out for it. Um, you're, you're always welcome back on the podcast. Um, you know, I always, you know, when the book comes out, I'd love to have you come back and we can just do maybe a deep dive on snare drum rolls. I'm sure there's students out there who would love that, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay healthy. And I'll really look forward to chatting with you again soon. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, man. You got it, buddy. All right. Take care. Stay safe. You too. See ya. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum, liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out, liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on uh, in so percussion as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, He's an amazing, amazing tuner builder, Um, just a really nice guy, very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, want to learn more about the goings-on in pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check him out. And finally, Aleandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan centric. You can check him out at mango chow, C-H-O-W, clothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. Mango chow, clothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.